You are listening to a sermon podcast from Kingdom City. We pray that over the next few moments, you will be blessed, equipped, and empowered to bring the reality of God to your world. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Oh, it's so good to be here with you. I have loved, loved, loved Kingdom City. And I'd like to say hello, too, to our friends in Wangara and Butler. You guys are legends. I'm so glad to be opening the Word of God um, with you via live stream as well. You guys should be so proud and, and so happy to be a part of the Kingdom City family. I travel the world. I'm not an expert in a whole lot of things, but I am an expert in pastors, and I'm an expert in churches. I could tell you, you have some of the best right here in Perth and Wangara and Butler and Mandura and around the world. So I get the opportunity to open the Word of God tonight, and I love that. I don't take that lightly. And so anytime, anytime you read a scripture, you want to ask a couple questions. One, what happened? And two, and more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of it? Anytime I preach, I want Jesus to get bigger. I want the cross to work better. I want the resurrection to be central. I want scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I want you walking out of here tonight talking about God instead of the AFL. I want you walking out of here tonight talking about scripture and asking questions and wondering, man, what else is in there that we haven't seen? I want to recapture the wonder of scripture. Sometimes, sometimes we lose our opportunity to be in awe of God at the altar of having to figure it all out. Actually, I want us to recapture wonder because God is not necessarily the object of our knowledge, but rather the cause of our wonder. And that is a whole lot better way to look at it. And so I want to talk to you tonight about fashion. Right, because, and I want to do that by looking at the book of Numbers, chapter fifteen. So we're gonna we're gonna start with the riveting book of Numbers, because I'm sure I'm sure we've all memorized that like good Hebrew uh, people. In Jesus's day, this was called the Torah. This was the the law. It was the, the the basically the summary statement of how they were meant to live. And so God gives this incredibly um, odd command about what we are to wear. And so if you could bring that up, this is Numbers chapter 15, verse 37. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. And you will have these tassels to look at so that you'll remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you'll remember to obey all my commands and be consecrated to the Lord your God. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. For I am the Lord your God. He says, I want you to take tassels and I want you to attach it to the corner of your garments. Say so it's an odd command. It's not even particularly that fashionable. He says, I want you to have this. And of course, if somebody says, I want you to put tassels on the corners of your garments, the obvious question is, why? And he says, oh, because I want you to have something to look at. I want you to have a tactile reminder really close to you all the time that allows you to remember God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways moved me from Egypt to Israel. God's ways are the best ways for my life. 
Now, now there is a lot going on here. And so I want to cover some big concepts and then I want to go, I want to journey from the general to the particular. Okay. So, so next slide. So there's a couple big words going on here that I want to teach you. I love words. All right. And so we're going to repeat a couple of these words with some go West Coast Eagles gusto. All right. So, so here live, we're going to do that. And also in, in Wangara and in, in Butler, we're going to repeat it there too. All right. So I want you to participate. And when we repeat words, we, re, we repeat it with gusto. Okay. We don't do it sort of, no, no, no. We do it with gusto, all right? So the first word that's really important is the word kanaf. Now, it sounds something like this. Ready? Kanaf. Now, we're going to try this together in Butler, Wangara, and here. Ready? When I do like this, we're going to say it together. The word is kanaf. Ready? Go. Kanaf. And see, that's very, very good. I can tell you guys did it, too, except for you on the third row there in Butler over to the right. Sir, you need to pick up your game. You need to pick up your game. All right? All right, ready? Let's try this again. Ready? Go. Kanaf. Now, the word kanaf, it means corner. Now, remember, there's only 8,000 words in ancient Hebrew. So they, they had to have a lot of meanings. So, so the word kanaf can mean corner, border, him, or it could mean wings. As you can see, this is kind of a, they, you know, they could, they, they, they could make that mean wings. Now, by far the most important word we're going to learn tonight is the second word. And that word is talit. Now, with that same amount of gusto in Butler, Wangara, and here, let's try that. Ready? Go. Talit. Now, a talit was a garment. It, 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 most words have a literal meaning and a symbolic meaning. It, the, uh, the literal, the, a literal talit is this. It, it's, a, it's a garment. But symbolically, it meant the presence of God. The, the, to be covered in God's presence. Here's the reason why. There was a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. In their concept, God was not everywhere. God lived underneath, behind that veil, right? So the idea was, was that the manifest presence of God is behind that veil. Now, the problem is, is that you're not allowed to ever see it. No one's allowed to go in there, except for one guy, one time a year. And so what they did was, is they made exact scale models of that veil, and they made it into clothing, so that people could wear it and somehow experience a bit of it symbolically. So literally, a talit was a garment. But, but symbolically, it was the presence of God. It's sort of like this. How many men in Perth would love to drive a Ferrari? All of us. How many of us can actually afford a Ferrari? None of us. So what men do is they buy these little model Ferraris and they put them up on their mantles and somewhere deep inside of us, it makes us feel like we own a Ferrari, right? It, that's this. And so what they would do, if you give me a second, I'm going to put this on. Just give me one second. What they would do is they would put this on to remind themselves that you can't organize your life where God is here, but not there. That God is with me everywhere I go, everything I do, everything I say, how I treat my husband when he leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18th hour of time. That matters because God is with me there as well. How I treat my wife when she does something that disappoints me, that matters because God is in the middle of how I speak to her. How I treat to somebody who cuts me off in traffic, that matters because God is in the middle of, of that. How I treat the waitress when she's taking too long to get my order, that matters because God is in the middle of that. That the best life is never found in organizing our life between here and there. The best life is found in realizing that God is with us everywhere we go everything we do, everything we say. As a matter of fact, in Hebrew, there is no word for spiritual. You ask a Jewish person, how's your spiritual life? They go, what? What are you talking about? The whole thing is spiritual. Where, where can I go that God is not? 
Are you, are, are you serious right now? now? Now you see this all through scripture, like put on the garment of praise. Later, later they called this Christ. Christ our covering, Christ God's presence. So Paul would use things like put on Christ. But wear Christ around you. This was imagery. It was symbolism. It was great metaphors to realize that the best life is found not ever in separating our spiritual life from here and there, but God is with us everywhere we go, everything we do. But, but, but the important thing I want us to remember is that the word is talit. Let's try that again. Talit. In Wangara and Butler, try it again. Talit. All right. And that means the presence of God. It literally is a garment, but it meant the presence of God. Now, there's two other words that are going to come out later, and that word is, those words are tamay. So tamay is, is the word unclean. So someone was declared unclean. They, they would have to announce it so that they wouldn't be touched. And they would go, tamay, 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 unclean, unclean, unclean. And then once they were deemed clean, they were, they were given a social sort of um, uh, status as something called tahor, so, so the words were tameh, which was unclean, or tahor, which is clean. Now, I realize in English, tahor sounds the unclean one. I realize that. But, but in, in Hebrew, tahor was the clean one, and tameh was the unclean one. So here's, here's what Moses says. I want you to put tassels, and I want you to attach it to the kanaf of your talit. In other words, Debating who has the presence of God and who doesn't have the presence of God, that's absurd. Every living soul belongs to God. Are they breathing God's air? Yep. Are they held together by God's name? Yep. Are they living in God's world? Yep. Then they, then they have some sense of the presence of God. That like the idea of, well, I'm anointed, so. The, the idea isn't just the presence of God. It's how you carry the presence of God. And he says, I want you to do that. I want you to symbolize that with tassels. Now, there's all this imagery in the tassel. Next slide. So I'm going to hold this up to the camera so everybody can see this in Butler and Mulgarian. I'm going to try to do it here where everybody can see it the best I can. That is a properly tied tassel. If you look at that, there are five knots. Oh, right. There are five knots in that tassel. One for each. Come on with it. There are five <laughs> knots in that tassel, one for each book of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, five knots. So it's not just the presence of God. It's the presence of God as it is attached to the word of God. It's, it's remembering that although the presence of God is what it is and cannot be taken of you, you need to have it attached to the word of God or things get very, very strange. Also, between those five knots are four spaces, one for each letter in the holy name, Yahweh, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. So what they would do is they remind themselves that it's not just the presence of God. It's the presence of God as it is attached to the word of God and the name of God. The name of God was defined in Exodus 34. He is the Lord, the Lord. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. That was the definition of the name of God. They used that everywhere, sometimes positively. Bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name and forget not his benefits who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases for he is the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness God who does not treat us as our iniquities deserve but gives us mercy that's new every morning. Sometimes negatively, like Jonah, I knew it. I knew you were gonna forgive the Assyrians. 
I knew you were a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God. That's why I ran. See, Jonah had to learn that God is not nearly as interested in getting his enemies as he was. And God is not nearly as interested in getting you as your enemies are. Like, it's not just enough to have the presence of God. It's the word of God and the name of God. It's the disposition of Messiah. It's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding love. As a matter of fact, we talked this morning about what it took to be a rabbi. And, and, and when you were in your rabbi training and when you were in the process by which you were learning to memorize scripture, when you did your memorization test and your memorization drills, the rabbi testing you before you started quoting scripture, he would take something and he would dip your tongue in honey to remind you that the word of God is sweet and must be expressed sweetly. The idea is, is that you can be right, but be wrong at the top of your voice. It's, it's one thing to carry the anointing. It's a whole nother thing not to be a jerk about it. It's a, it's, you can be right, but be wrong at the top of your voice. It's, it's not just the, the presence of God. It's the word of God and the name of God. Now, this is a properly tied tassel. It takes 613 loops to make that. There's exactly 613 commands in the Torah. So you had the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God. But a tassel always comes off with eight strands. In Hebrew, eight is the number of new beginnings, fresh starts, second chances, clean slates, mulligans, and the opportunity to write a better story. In other words, all in this shawl, all in this garment was a reminder that God is with me everywhere I go, everything I do, everything I say. But it's not just the presence of God. It's the presence of God as it is attached to the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, and a reminder of the grace of God when I fail. And what they would do is they would wrap the tassels around their hands like so. And it would remind them. They'd look at it. God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways brought me from, from Egypt to Israel. God's ways are the best ways for my life. So, so that any time before I sinned with my hand, I had to physically unwrap God. It was a deterrent from prostituting ourselves by going after the lust of our own hearts and eyes. So there's all of this really cool imagery with the tassels now that we know that. Like, remember, there's this one time. <laughs> Jesus says, beware of the Pharisees who wear their tassels too long. Why? Because sometimes people in the first century like to make a loud announcement of how close they are to God. Like, we would never do that, right? right? Essentially, Jesus is saying, beware of people who are too loud about how close they are to God. Normally, they're not. And that's your experience, and that's mine. Like, when I come into a church, and somebody comes up to me and says, I'm the prayer warrior here. Normally not. It's normally not true. Normally, the prayer warrior is somewhere praying. I've never met a prophet in my life who told me he was a prophet. In my whole life, I've never met a true prophet that announced himself that way. The true prophets are the one everyone else is saying, well, watch out for that, dude. That man, read your mail. <laughs> Essentially, Jesus says, beware of people who pretend they're flaw-free and act like they're holy, because normally they're the wolf. Beware of people who wear their tassels too long. Like, like there's this one psalm where David says, under the shadow of your wings, knaf. 
enough. God doesn't have wings. No, no, no. This is, what is it? This is under the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God, as it is expressed in, in, in the presence of God. I, um, uh, remember, there's this one time, there's this guy named David, right? And, and David kills a giant guy named Goliath, the Philistine warrior. And he gets, he gets very, very popular amongst the people, but he gets very unpopular with Saul. And he starts running from Saul and all of Saul's allies. And what you find out in that story is David is a bad dude. When it comes to hand-to-hand combat, he's unbelievable. Lion, whatever, bear, bring it on, right? Right, big Philistine warrior, I got this. David's, a, David's Jack Bauer on speed, right? But as awesome as David is at hand-to-hand combat, he's terrible at hiding, right? It, it says that he went to a cave to hide from Saul and 400 people already knew he was there and his family. Like, as good as you are at hand-to-hand combat, bro, when it comes to hiding, frankly, you suck, right? That's the idea. And it says that Saul went into the cave to use the toilet, right? So he goes into the cave to use the toilet. And it says that it was dark in there and evidently David's eyes were already adjusted. It says that David snuck up behind Saul and he cut off the corner of Saul's garment. Hang on a second. If Saul's the king of Israel, what would have been attached to the corner of his garment, tassels, right? And then David sneaks off into the distance, right? Saul finishes his business, comes out of the cave, puts his garment back on and reaches for his tassels to wrap around his hand. But when he reaches for his tassels, he can't find them because David had cut off the corner of his garment. And David is in the distance holding up the corner of Saul's garment. And it says Saul saw it as a reproach. Of course he did. What's David saying? He's like, Saul, the presence of God is not for me to take from you. I can't touch your anointing. That's above my pay grade. But what I can do is give commentary that the way you're carrying it stinks to high heaven. Yeah, you have the anointing just like you always have, but you've lost your tassels, bro. He says Saul saw it as a reproach. It's all this really sort of neat imagery in this kind of stuff. Well, an interesting prophecy came about. It's in the last prophet of the Old Testament. It's a guy named Malachi. One of the last things before the thing shuts. And he's trying to define how will you know when you can see Messiah in front of you? And he's talking about this and he gives this interesting prophecy about how to know when Messiah is standing in front of you. And here's what he says. Next slide. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. But the word is kanaf. In other words, you can tell who Messiah is by whether there's healing in the corner of his garment. Oh, Mark chapter five. So an interesting story comes about that centers around a guy named Jairus and his daughter. Now it's a product, sort of a long story. So I'm going to read a few verses, then I'm going to tell the story, and then we'll come back and look at some different things. Here's Mark chapter five. I think it's verse 21. 
When Jesus had again crossed over by the lake to the, uh, to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, a guy named Jairus, came when he saw Jesus had fell at his feet. This is a posture, obviously, of begging. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, we're gonna talk about the rest of this passage because things get very interesting very quickly. But we have to remember that this whole thing is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. Because if we forget that it's about Jairus' daughter, what happens next is so spectacular, we might lose sight of the fact that this is actually about Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is dying. So Jairus asked Jesus to come pray for his daughter because his daughter's dying. But we don't wanna lose sight of the fact that this is about Jairus' daughter because what happens next is pretty spectacular. And sometimes we quit reading because the next thing's pretty spectacular. But the whole thing is actually about Jesus getting to Jairus' daughter. And we don't want to lose sight of the fact that he's getting to Jairus' daughter, because if we lose sight of that, we're going to miss the whole point, because this whole story is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. Even though what happens next is pretty spectacular, this whole thing is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter, because Jairus' daughter is pretty sick, and Jairus is begging, Jesus, please come pray for my daughter. So Jesus agrees to go pray for Jairus' daughter, and the whole thing is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter, because we don't want to lose sight of the fact that even though the next thing is pretty big, that, that, that this is the whole thing is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter, because if we don't remember that, we're going to miss the whole point. So it's very important when I tell this story that we remember this whole thing is about Jesus getting to Jairus' daughter. <clears throat> so Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. And on the way there, says a woman with an issue of bleeding for 12 years pushes through the crowd, reaches up, and grabs the corner of Jesus's garment. Hold on. If Jesus is a Jew, and he is, what would have been attached to the corner of his garment? Tassels. Why is this woman grabbing this? Well, remember, these people memorized every prophecy about Messiah. And she knows if he is who he says he is, then there should be healing in his wings. Now, to understand this, we have to understand a few things. Let me give you a quick Hebrew hermeneutic lesson. In Jewish hermeneutics, you always read the Bible through four levels. Western people approach a scripture with this thought. I don't want to be wrong. What's the one meaning, right? What? Jews approach scripture with, I don't want to miss out right? So if there's another way to read this, tell me. We want to hold all these things in tension, right? right? Now, the four levels are, if you're a nerd, the four levels are Peshat, Ramez, Drush, and Sud. If you're not a nerd, one, two, three, four. Now, <laughs> level one is just like the Peshat. It's, it's the plainest thing going on. So the plainest thing going on is there's a lady who's obviously bleeding. I think we can assume it's some sort of female issue. She's been bleeding for quite a long period of time and evidently without medical care, she's at the extent of the medical care and she's got one hope and that is a touch from God. So she pushes through the crowd to touch Jesus. That's what's going on. But it says something interesting. It says she's been bleeding for 12 years. How did they know that? What if it was 11 years and nine months? What if it was 13 years? What if she held it to herself for three years? Like, it's obviously not the point. When a Jewish author says the word 12, 
they would have, they, a Jewish audience would have been like 12, that's 12 tribes. That's us. So on one, that's the remez. The remez is a hint or an allusion to something. So, so in one sense, this story is about one lady at one moment, at one time, needing a touch from God. In a whole nother sense, this story is about an entire nation leaking life and needing a touch from God. This story is about me and it's about you, right? Now to understand what's going on, we gotta understand there's two words we learned earlier, Tameh and Telhor. See, in Jewish culture, you were one of two. You were, you were either Tameh, unclean, or you were Telhor, clean. Now, now we've defined sin very poorly. We define sin as the bad things we do. So we go, ah, oh, it's something bad, it's a sin. Okay, fair enough. But sin was much broader than that. In Leviticus, sin was anything that wasn't perfect. It made you unclean and it was very contagious. Like Tamay was incredibly contagious. I'll give you a couple examples, right? In Leviticus, it says it's a sin to have dandruff. So why don't you just check your neighbor right now and see if they're living in sin. In Leviticus, it says it was a sin to have any skin rash. Yeah, anybody want to tell us about a skin rash they have that we can't see, right? I don't even know how you lived back then. And this is true. In Leviticus, it says it's a sin for a woman to give birth. In Leviticus chapter 12, it says after a woman's given birth, she must bring an offering to the temple to atone for her sin of loss of blood. Why? Because hard labor was never part of the original plan. That was the idea. And, and of course, these, these things made you unclean. But here was the problem. Tamay was very contagious. So if you have dandruff and I touch you, not only are you unclean, now I'm unclean. Why? Because here's what happened, right? The people who ran the temple figured out that you can profiteer on people's spiritual guilt. So what they did, because we would never do that, what they did is they took the law and then they made it harder and harder and harder and harder to keep it. And they made it more and more and more and more contagious. And they, they created all these man-made rules around the other rules, around more rules, around more rules. Like, for instance, they said, not only would it make you unclean to touch a woman who's on her period, right? Which is so weird. How did you know that? How did you even live back then? Like, if you're here tonight and you're on your period, would you just raise your hand? That is so weird, right? <laughs> they said, not only is it a sin to touch a woman on her period, it's a sin to touch a chair a woman sat on in the last three days, if she's been on her period, right? Which, okay, all right, so if you're not really to raise your hand, would you put a little note in the chair? So, we, Like, what? Here was a man-made one. It was against the law. It was a sin to touch furniture where a married couple had been intimate in the last three days. Like, what did you do? Put up a sign? I, I was teaching this in a pastor's home once, and he made everybody get off the sofa. Uh-huh. He was 75. I know. I know. I know. My hero. Now, here's the thing. So think about this for a second. And we tend to read the Bible. Where's the doctrine? We want the doctrine. Okay, but let's stop for a second and let's read this emotionally. If this woman had been bleeding for 12 years, first of all, let's talk about physics, just physical stuff. Think about it. if you're a woman, if you'd been bleeding, if you'd been having a female problem for 12 years, how would you be feeling physically? That'd be terrible. And, and remember medicine, I mean, penicillin was just invented 90 years ago. Like 
Like Advil just came around six. I mean, like, no, this is terrible. And now let's read it emotionally. Let me just paint a picture. This woman would not have been purposely touched in 12 years. And it wasn't because people were being mean. They, they literally could not afford to touch her. So if she walked, think about the emotional pain. If she walked in the room, even good-hearted people, because if they touch her, they're gonna have to go to the temple and buy sacrifices. It was horrendously oppressive. It'd be terrible. So here's what she hears. She hears that the one who says he's Messiah is close by. And she knows the prophecy. If I can just get close enough to grab the corner of his garment, this thing will leave me. Here's the problem. She's a castaway. How does a castaway get close enough to touch him? This is where you're going to love her. She's like, hang on. I'm Tammy. No one can afford to touch me. So here's what she does. She puts her elbows out. Excuse me, pardon me. Excuse me, pardon me. Excuse me, pardon me. Right? You like her, right? She reaches up and grabs Jesus's garment and she gets instantly healed. Now, what's interesting is, is that Jesus doesn't even address the healing. Actually, Jesus does something weird. You never see him do it before. You never see him do this again. It's a one-off. This lady touches him and gets healed. And he's like, who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Does that sound like Jesus? No, that sounds like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Luke, the force has left me. Right? It's so weird. Normally when Jesus healed somebody, his, he was, let's keep this on the down low. Let's keep this between us. Not this time. This lady touches him and he's like, who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Now, why is that important? Why would a Jewish rabbi point out to an entire crowd that an unclean woman touched him? Like, what, what, are, what are they gonna, what would the crowd think Jesus is now? Tameh. They're gonna think he's unclean, right? And that's the gospel in a nutshell, is the one who knew no sin was willing to become unclean so that someone else can have a bit of clean and wholeness and peace. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. The one who had the right to claim cleanliness actually was willing to be perceived as unclean for the sake of the other. That is. See, that, that, see would first century rabbis had laid, would they have laid hands on people? Y yes. But would they have touched them? No. But would they have laid hands on them? Yeah. But would they have touched them? No. But would they lay hands on them? Oh, yeah. But would they have touched them? No. Think about that till tomorrow, right? So what happened? Then? <laughs> See, for us, we live in a real literal world. So when we read laying hands on somebody, we read this, right? And look, amen. Hey, if you pray for someone and you do that and it works, please keep doing it. Nothing wrong with that. But, but laying on of hands was something called malah. It, it meant to impart something that is within my authority to impart over you. If for, for us, it would be ministering the name of God, like Jehovah Rapha, our healer, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness, Jehovah Shalom, our peace, that we have a right to minister that name, right? So, so this lady reaches up and she grabs the corners. She gets healed. Jesus doesn't even address it. He says, go in peace, go in Shalom. 
In other words, don't make the next group of friends pay for the rejection of the first group. Don't don't make the next community pay for the pain you just went through. Don't just go physically whole. Go in shalom. But then something bad happens, like really bad. Remember, this story is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. We don't lose sight of that. Because actually, one of the best miracles Jesus ever did was an interruption to his schedule, which is a whole nother thing. Like if God can't interrupt your schedule, you might miss some of the best stuff God might ever do. If we get too regimented and stuff, you know. So something tragic happens. The little girl dies while this is happening. This is horrendous and tragic. Once again, think about this emotionally. If you have a child and you just got news that your daughter died, what is your basic emotion, right? And then add to that how horrendously they told him. Check out how blunt these people were. This is blunt to a level you can't imagine. Next slide. This is verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Okay, first, rude. That's rude. Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why even bother the rabbi anymore? Jairus, your daughter, dead. Okay, first, that's rude. Second, let's be Jairus for a second. Emotionally, what are you feeling? First, disbelief, like no way. Second, devastation, once it sinks in. Third, anger. Who are you angry with? No, not Jesus. You can't be mad at the Lord. (laughs) Jesus. No, 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 no. No, mad at the woman. Stupid woman. Been bleeding 12 years, couldn't wait 20 minutes. Are you serious? He was, on my, he was on his way to pray for my daughter and you had to stop things, you stupid woman. 12 years, you couldn't wait 20 minutes. Now my daughter's dead. Oh man. Why would they be so rude? Once again, we got to understand their culture. This is Israel. He's a synagogue ruler. In Leviticus, it says, it is a sin to knowingly walk into a room where a dead body is. So if you know a dead body's in there, you can't knowingly walk in there without being a sinner. So they're like, hey, the daughter's already dead. There's no need to bother him. He can't walk in there. He's not allowed. But it says, it is a sin to knowingly walk into a room where a dead body is. Unless you're already considered unclean. (laughs) Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. I need all of you to look over here. I need all of you to think I'm unclean. You realize they wouldn't have even let him in the room if that interruption had not happened. What appears to be devastating and an interruption is actually the very thing that made the next miracle possible. Oh, but Shane, I lost my job. I lost my job. Good. Maybe now you'll be free to start that business you've been dreaming about for a while. 
What might look, Shane, they left me. They left me. Oh, God. Oh, God. Good. She was terrible. Ask your friends. You just got a mulligan, bro. Take it. What might seem like the end of your story is just a new beginning. Now, Jesus carries on and he covers his bases. He's like, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Wink, wink, right? It's so good. It's so good. Right, right. Check this out. Next slide. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Well, a little girl's dead. There's people carrying on. The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him. And he went in there. Now, before we go forward, I want to remind ourselves of something. Give me a second, I'll put this back on. So if Jesus is Jewish, and he is, there'd have been tassels attached to the corner of his garment. And where would these tassels have been? Wrapped around his hand. Now, it's very important. This garment, everybody together, in Butler, Wangara, and Canningvale. The word is talit. With a whole lot of gusto. Everybody together, ready, go. Talit. Let's try that again. Ready, go. Talit. And talit is literally a garment. But symbolically, it's the presence of God. It's a reminder. God is with me wherever I go. Whatever I do. Watch what happens next. And he took her by the hand. Stop. What would have been attached around his hands? Tassels. So in the first part of the story, you have a woman being touched by God because she's reaching up for him. In the second part of the story, you have a little girl being touched by God because he's reaching down for her even after she's dead and hopeless. See, sometimes you'll get a touch from God because you're desperately reaching up for God. Sometimes you'll get a touch from God just surprised because he's reaching down for you. And he took her by the hand and said, Talit, ha, kum. My little girl, I say to you, get up. But remember, in their culture, this was the presence of God. Talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. Get up. My child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to arise. And I came across this nation to stand on this stage at this very moment and prophetically declare a word to you. Talit, ha, Kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It is time for you to get up. Oh, but Shane, I went through a divorce. I went through a divorce. Yeah, seven years ago. How long are you going to wallow in that? Get up. Get your head up, your shoulders back. Move forward. It's time for you to shake the dust off your feet and go on with life. Oh, but Shane. Oh, Talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to arise. Now, it is irresponsible of me. I I actually couldn't preach this if I didn't stop and make this point because 
my conscience wouldn't let me. It is irresponsible of me to preach a message like this without realizing that some people might use a message like this to presume upon the grace of God to fix things we could fix ourselves. It allows us to be irresponsibility. Listen, God is not duty bound to fix our own stupidity, nor is he duty bound to finish something he didn't initiate. Like, listen, I think I speak for the leaders here. If I don't, I humbly apologize because it's not my place, but I'm pretty confident about this. If you get lung cancer, we will pray earnestly and authentically for God to heal your lung cancer. But we would much rather you quit smoking today than to need a miracle in 20 years, right? Look, if you're, if, if you're having financial difficulty, we'll pray with all we got for God to break through your finances. But, but we'd also like to know you're getting up before 10. You're, bra- you're bathing regularly. You're dressing well and you're going to work, right? Like there's a cure for broke. It's called get a job. And, and this is Australia. A land of motor cars, paved road stores that prepackage food for us, clean water in our tap, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world-class healthcare right down the road, and it's largely free. When I hear Australians complain about Australia, let me be blunt. Where are you going to go? <laughs> right? In other words, if it's within your power, this is the second temptation of Christ, remember? Satan says, hey, Jesus, throw yourself off the mountain. And because God's got such a big plan for your life, he'll catch you. Remember Jesus? He was like, probably, but why would I do that when I could just not jump, right? In other words, if it's within your power to change your life, you ought to change your life, right? Here's the truth. If you live long enough, you'll take all your medicine and it won't work. It's not enough. You'll do everything you could do to save the marriage and they're still going to walk out. You'll do everything you could do to save the business that you care about and the customer is going to change contractors. If you live long enough, there's a moment where you're at the end of what you can do. And at that moment, that's when there's the promise of something far more profound, a touch from God. Let me show you this one more thing. This is just too cool. Next slide. And immediately the girl stood up. Well, that's good news, right? How much faith did it take for Jesus to touch a dead thing? If she doesn't breathe, we got a problem. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Oh, wait a minute. How old was she? Oh, she was 12 too. Oh. So the lady's been bleeding the amount of time this girl's been alive? Maybe they knew each other. I know it's not the point. I know on one level, this is about one little girl and one lady bleeding. One dead little girl and one bleeding lady. But on a whole nother level, this is about an entire nation leaking life and desperately needing a touch from God, lest we die in our complacency. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. You reckon? 
And he gave strict orders not to let anybody know. Now that's Jesus. That's the one. And he told them to give her something to eat. Why? Well, I guess rising from the dead, you work up an appetite. I don't know. (laughs) Here's what I do now. There are those of you here and you're straight in the middle of something and you know and I know that you could change your life. And my call to you tonight is to get the courage to do something about it. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, we want you to know that He loves you very much. So much that He died on the cross for all of your sins that stood between you and God. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus today, all you need to do is to repeat this prayer. Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I'm not right with you, and I want to be right with you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me and making me your child. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or if God has done anything in your life because of this podcast, we would love to know. Email us at testimony at kingdomcity.com.